believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of western Iowa, comes the voice of the church, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that He was buried, that He was resurrected on the third day, that He's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and He cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. Luke chapter 2 and verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. I was just there a few months ago because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed, to be taxed, to be taxed, 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 taxed. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Okay, so I know you've already heard this and you think you already know this, but you don't. I'm gonna surprise you if you listen today. You're gonna to be drinking from the fire hose. You're gonna learn things about Jesus you didn't know, I promise. Pay very close attention to the things that I'm saying. Let's summarize what we just read because I don't want you to miss this. Joseph is on a long, miserable, donkey-riding journey. There is nothing Cadillac about it. For what reason? To pay taxes. There is nothing exciting about it. With a wife who is like nine months pregnant on a donkey. I cannot even imagine trying to get my wife on a donkey when she was pregnant. Joseph has a bumper sticker on his donkey that says, don't blame me, I didn't vote for Caesar. <laughs> Verse 6, and so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn. I bet she did bring forth the son after bouncing up and down like that. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Go to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Did you know that consistently throughout history, as remarkable and ironic as it is, when the absolute, unadulterated, beautiful truth of God is announced to the world, they don't like it? We see Herod is deeply disturbed, deeply troubled by the potential of the Hebrews. Did you hear that? Deeply troubled by the what? The potential of the Hebrews. Does that remind you of Pharaoh? Yes, it does. It certainly should. And what did Pharaoh assault through a demonic principality influencing his position of government to do two things, to confront two issues? What was it that Pharaoh did hundreds of years earlier with Moses? He came against the Hebrews' private property acquisitions, their property instinct, their desire to take dominion, he confronted that. He tried to impede it and stop it. And what did he do? He murdered their children. He didn't want them to have babies. And here we are again now. Christ is born, and Herod is really upset about the news. And in the same way that Pharaoh acted, he is about to act. Two ways. To stop the Hebrews from taking dominion and to stop them from having children. Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Baloney, a politician doing what politicians do, lying. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which was in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, notice they're called wise men. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Wicked men, when they hear the truth, are deeply troubled, but the righteous rejoice. Verse 11, look at this. And when they were come into the house, now, I want to pause there for a moment. Say house. You need to understand in the timeline, this is not baby Jesus. This could be Jesus as, as old as five years old. Not much younger than my Jonas. Several years have gone by before the wise men finally figured out where it had all happened a few years earlier when the shepherds came and found him in the manger. Now, we get confused by our Christmas dramas and things that we do. We think that the wise men showed up in Bethlehem at the exact same time as the shepherds, and that's not at all what happened. The wise men probably journeyed, some believe, from as far as China, and they had to be some kind of smart something to look at the stars and figure out exactly where a one person was born, and they pulled it off. Somebody needs to go back and figure out their calculations and tell it to NASA. 
because they were wise. But what you need to see here is I'm talking to you. You know the story. I'm not going into all the details, but you know Herod did the same thing Pharaoh did. He murdered children, and he was looking for the time that the star appeared because Herod, too, was calculating what the age of this Christ child would be. And then he gave the order that toddlers were to be murdered in the streets. So that same demon that wants you to not have children, that wants you to not reproduce, certainly doesn't want you to get anyone born again, and definitely does not want you to take dominion by fulfilling your purpose through your property instinct to own and possess stuff for the sake of the kingdom. But we go a couple of years into this, and you'll understand why I'm putting all this, all this pressure on, on this verse in just a minute. And you see in verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11, and when they were come into the house. This is important for you to see because I want you to understand Joseph, Mary, and little toddler Jesus lived in a home. Joseph was using his property instinct, and he had worked hard and saved up the money, and he had purchased property. It's important for you to see that, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. Jesus is approximately between two and five years old, learning to walk, run, and talk like every other two-year-old toddler, and he lives in a house. He may not have been potty trained yet. We don't know. Verse 11, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child, not a baby, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, think about it. If you were a wise man and you were willing to commit several years of your life to a journey into the unknown to find who you believed would be the king of the universe, what kind of treasures would you be packing? It's important for you to see this. It's important for you to know this because religion has lied to the world. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold. Now, they had to open a case. It wasn't like with the kids' plays where they, we open a little, a little watch box, and there's one little coin of gold in there. No, no, no. They, put, they pulled them down off of a caravan of camels. They opened up a treasure box filled with gold. And out of the mass treasure, they brought little trinkets to a toddler. But mom and dad got the rest. It's important to see it because it's right here. They presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. What is a two, five-year-old little boy going to do with gold? frankincense, and myrrh. I have the answer for you. Nothing. He would probably do this. They gave it to him because they knew his identity. He could not use it at that moment, could he? But his parents could. And listen, he would need it later. He would need it 
later when he became a man. Verse 12, and being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another route. They took another path and said, we don't want to talk to that, something wrong with that king. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt. That would be unnerving. God sends an angel in the night in your dream, and the angel looks at you and says, run! That's what he did. And Joseph packed up that treasure, both in human and material form, and he fled fast, and he got to Egypt to protect his child from the crazy man, Herod. Read it again, verse 13. When they were departed, the wise men went back home. I wonder how long it took them to get there. Wow. When they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and run to Egypt, and stay there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And when he arose, he took the child and his mother by night and departed. Go with me down to verse 16. And then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Herod may have been wrong. We hope he was. We hope he was because we wouldn't have wanted all the five and unders to be murdered. But he murdered the two-year-old little boys and down. Now, I want you to see the prophetic parallels. We are talking about taking dominion and what it means, both through reproduction and the acquisition of property. And we are saying that if you have children and you do not train them up to be the child of a father in heaven that you are in dysfunctional dominion. And we are saying that if you work and uh, acquire property and riches and finances and you do it for your own sake and for your own family and for your own inheritance, but not on behalf of the kingdom of God, and you do not bring that substance into the storehouse of God, you are living in dysfunctional dominion. And your pride will be your downfall. Now, notice in the story of Jesus, we see a combination of taxation and pregnancy, nowhere to sleep, much less to have a baby. And in the story of Moses, we see slavery and hard bondage and financial oppression and general difficulty. And then secondly, in the story of Jesus, we see that Herod is evil, and he fears that when people get word of this religious prophecy, he could lose his kingdom and in the story of Moses, we see that Pharaoh has a demonic hatred for the Hebrew people because they're blessed and he fears losing his kingdom. And then thirdly, in the story of Jesus, we see that Herod orders all the baby boys ages two and under to be murdered. And in the story of Moses, we see that Pharaoh orders all male children about that same age to be murdered. Fourthly, Jesus is protected through faith and obedience of his parents who ran to Egypt. And Moses was protected through the faith and obedience of his parents. 
Hebrews 11 tells us that Moses' parents, by faith, put him in the basket. Fifthly, Jesus is no longer a baby, but a little boy at the time that the wise men come bearing treasure for him. Moses is no longer a baby, but now a little boy as his mother completes the period of time where she was paid a salary to nurse him as her own son. We can see the God kind of life being made manifest in the life of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph right from the beginning of Jesus' life. And we can see Mary and Joseph, Jesus probably no idea what's going on. He's just a little guy. But Mary and Joseph are in the midst of the agonies. Nobody likes to be told in the night, run for your life. They're struggling. They're in the struggle. But God is with them in the struggle. He's with you too. It doesn't matter what you're facing. He's with you. You can do it. Look at your neighbor and say, you can do it. Don't give up. You can see Father God blessing the dominion instinct in Joseph and Mary from the very beginning in complete contradiction to the abuses of this pagan fallen world that does not want them to take dominion. The same is true of you right now. We can demonstrate Jesus was not born poor. Poor people are hindered by Satan. Poverty is a wicked thing designed to stop human beings from achieving their dreams. Poverty is not from God. Poverty is designed to keep us from taking dominion. Jesus was not born poor, and this is one of the greatest deceptions that has ever been given to the church. It is designed to stop you from having faith to take dominion. Joseph was not poor, and it is important to see that. Before the treasure arrived, based upon Jewish law, based upon the qualifications to be the stepfather of the very Messiah, the Son of God, based upon the qualifications of every father that was the offspring of Abraham, Joseph could not have been poor. He must have been a hardworking, diligent, wise man, or God would not have selected him. In fact, the Scriptures tell us Joseph was righteous. So Jesus could not have been born poor. And what does the Scriptures, what do they actually tell us about the reason Jesus was born in a stable? He was not born in a stable because he was poor. He was born in a stable because his father, who had the money to pay taxes, his father, who had the money to take a very long, tedious journey, his father, who obviously had the money to pay for the hotel, was told there is no vacancy. That is not a situation that proves poverty. It is simply no vacancy. So 41 days after Jesus was born in the stable, 41 days... Joseph, Mary, and Jesus returned to their home in the city of Nazareth where Jesus now had lived when the wise men got there, well cared for, taken care of, healthy and happy in a home because his father had obtained property, can you say amen, and had been a righteous man and was blessed. He was living life and then the wise men came and he began to live it more abundantly. Three eastern kings show up with an entourage of servants, probably several camels, horses, and donkeys, and they have to take time 
to open their treasures before pulling out three particular single items to present to a little boy, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When they presented those three items to the family, they were not the gift. They represented a variety of treasures still sitting outside in shipping crates. We clearly see Zoe life bringing material, physical manifestation of wealth immediately up front when Christ arrives. Now, none of this is to say that merely obtaining wealth is an indication of righteousness. It is not. That would be false logic. But it is to say, and the Bible has said it hundreds of times. It would be one thing, folks, if it said it twice and maybe there was confusion, but it has said it hundreds of times. And I would challenge you to go back and look for yourself every single time poverty is discussed in the Holy Bible. The cause of poverty is consistently always sin. Do you know what you need to do to have poverty? Nothing. Do nothing. The Bible says poverty is brought by sin. God does not want people to sin, therefore, he does not want anyone to be in poverty. If God wanted people to be in poverty, it would be morally wrong for you to give alms to the poor. If God wanted people to be trapped in poverty, it would be wrong for you to be generous and, you know, donate a coat for the kids. So why can't we get such a simple thing straight? God does not like poverty. He wants you to be generous. He wants you to take care of the poor because he feels bad that they're suffering. And the Bible also says part of caring for the poor is instructing them with the knowledge to not be poor no more. Sin is the cause of poverty. Oh, people bristle when you say that. It is true. Wake up. People sin and they reap the consequences. I could sin. I could sin today. I could walk out of here and say, I'm not going to do my job anymore. I don't like it. I'm going to sit in a chair, and I refuse to work. And do you know what would come to me? Because I sinned. No more paychecks. No more money. I wouldn't be able to pay my bills. I wouldn't pay my mortgage. They'd take my house away. I wouldn't be able to take my ta- pay my taxes. They'd take my house away. Maybe throw me in jail, but I would be poor, and it'd be because of my sin. Poverty is always the result of sin. It might be your sin. It might be another person's sin afflicted against you, but it's always sin is the cause. And if you're going to take dominion, you have to not be poor because slavery is Satan's resistance to you obtaining property, and poverty is the meanest taskmaster, the most vicious of slave owners and masters, poverty. Mary said something very interesting concerning this supernatural provision that God would bestow upon her and her husband. And we find Mary responding to God's promise with a song of praise and worship to the Lord before any of it came into manifestation, before any wise men showed up and gave them this overwhelming inheritance, really, to take care of their son and to be able to have the means to flee to Egypt and live there and sustain themselves and have the means to come back home later 
and still be able to flourish and function. But before any of it ever happened, by faith, Mary did this. Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. I call Mary blessed this morning. You'll never hear me say Mary was so poor. Mary was blessed, blessed beyond imagination. Of course, we realize that being blessed goes beyond mere finances, but it certainly includes them. I wouldn't want to be the richest man in the world with children that were going to hell and a wife that hated me. When your child gets sick and you have to go to the emergency room, suddenly that really nice couch set you wanted to buy down at the furniture store doesn't really mean much now. When your children are hurting, when your spouse is hurt, when somebody's in danger, all of a sudden you don't really care about the size of your income. And so being blessed is something far greater than just dollars and cents. But balance that understanding knowing that poverty is the plan of hell to stop you from achieving what God has asked you to do. Mary says, all generations shall call me blessed. And she was blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon all who fear him from generation to generation. Does it sound like Mary is predicting that everybody for generations would call her blessed, but not you, but not you? Does that sound like what she's saying? No. She's saying not only will all generations look back upon my story in history and they will say that woman was blessed, but all those who fear him will be blessed for generations. In Exodus 1.21, God provided households to slaves that feared him in the midst of oppression and he brought them out of their bondage. And God will provide a household for you in the midst of your struggle, and you can come out of bondage. Mary continues in verse 51. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Verse 53, listen to Mary, the blessed mother of Jesus Christ. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. Because the just are those who will join in a partnership with their Creator and take dominion on this planet and obtain property on behalf of the kingdom and through the church and have children that are raised in the admonition and nurture of the Lord and will get the lost children of other people born a second time and saved from the peril that is coming. What a blessing to know our God and to serve Him. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. 
himself blew on history so that there would be a light. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside of the church. Thank you for tuning in. 